I would say that one of my mottos, most important for both homeowner and for anyone in the trades, and it's sort of an old cliche, but it's good, fast, cheap. You can have two, but you can't have three. Once upon a time, I decided that I couldn't work a nine to five. So I became a business owner and now I work 24 seven. Not literally, but as an entrepreneur, I always have to keep my eye on the ball. If you're thinking about moving into entrepreneurship for freedom and flexibility and fun, the job may end up being a little tougher than you think. So today we're going to unpack all that with the host of America's Toughest Jobs, Josh Temple. This is the I Make a Living podcast brought to you by FreshBooks. Our guest today started his career as a contractor, which paved the way for major TV projects such as DIY Networks, House Crashers, and Disaster House, plus more shows on the Discovery Channel and TLC. Throughout it all, Josh has continued to keep in touch with his roots in contracting. Here's Josh on how he built the foundation, wink, wink, for his wild and exciting career. All right, well, here's the quick and dirty on it. Um, I got out of college and I got into construction. And I was in San Francisco and the receptionist at the company I worked for said, you got to see that you'd be great at this. You'd, you'd be great at improv. You got to go see a show. So I went, okay, I'll go see a show. Saw a show, fell in love. They were like, if you like this or you think you're good at this, you can take classes. I signed up immediately, got into improv. I got into sketch comedy, but never quit my day job. And then after one show, you know, finally went through the classes, got into the company, started performing. Guy comes in, says, want to be in a commercial? I said, yeah, sure. I'll be in a commercial. I don't, I I didn't know anything about it. And one of my first commercials was the first Zoom, Zoom, Zoom ad for Mazda, where the kid goes, Zoom, Zoom. Oh my gosh. This was in, yeah, this was like in, (laughs) this was in 1990, like, or something, 97, something like that. And again, didn't quit my day job, but San Francisco was such a a really great small pool of talent and they got a lot of work. They got a lot of uh, commercial work out of there. So, I mean, I bit, I I bit, I loved it. And I loved the paycheck and that mail money for the residuals back in the day was amazing. Um, If you got on a national commercial, you're at least buying a car with that money. Maybe a Mazda Zoom Maybe. Zoom. Yes. <laughs> zoom, zoom Zoom to you. Well done. Um, yeah. So then um, I didn't quit my day job till about 2000, 1998 and 99. I was a project manager for a construction company and a part-time actor. And I was with commercials making more money as an actor than I was with a salary and a project manager. And that, that's no slouch. That's not, a, that's a pretty damn good living. So I was like, okay, well, I can always do construction. I'm moving to LA. I'm going to go for it. I moved to LA. And instead of being a waiter, I just was taking grounding classes and trying to find an agent and all that. I was just working with contractors. And it was like, tile a bathroom, build a deck, replace a window, whatever, all these things. And so as I hustled for work, I also learned more and more about construction because in construction, you know, you have specialists everywhere. You have plumbers and electricians and HVAC, and you learn certain things about all trades, but you got to learn. But I was doing all these odd jobs and I was learning and quite frankly, the hard way, but I had a couple of guys that really, you know, sort of stuck with me and I was cheap. I, I, I said, look, I can finish this in three days or four days if I have time for any auditions or whatever that was. And 
this is in 2000, 2001. And it was like, um, I would read books about how to tile, not, you don't go on YouTube in 2000, but I, but I felt like I learned the right way. And so as an actor now, I went from a full-time construction to part-time actor to a full-time actor, part-time construction. And then the reality, the home improvement industry hit hard. And I just, I was in the right place at the right time. And like you said, that was my perfect lane. Like the first person that contacted me said, well, we either need a contractor that can act or that, that is entertaining, or we need an inter- a host that knows about construction. And I was like, literally, I don't know if I'm that, which zebra I am, black stripes or white stripes, <laughs> but it went. But you said, you said you were in the right place at the right time, but you know, it's one of those things where in a way that was the job you were always preparing for that you didn't even know existed. Cause I kind of feel like where I've ended up in this hybrid content creator, dating coach lane, that if you had asked me in 2001, what are you working towards? I never would have been able to answer this question. And yet it all makes sense sometimes when the pieces come together. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I've watched your progress and how you've manifested all of this. And not only kudos to you and congratulations, but I think there's a lot of truth to that, that manifestation. Do you do anything like to manifest? Do you have like a practice around that? Uh, you know, it's so funny. I just did something and I can't talk too much about it, but there is a, um, there's this job I hope to get. And I was sitting there going, God, God, I need it. I want it. What can I do? What can I do? And so I sort of, I bent the knee and I went and wrote a couple of nice emails to people that might not necessarily even like me. Right. I don't know, but I had their info and I was like, look, I'm, I'm sorry for exploiting your information but I want this job that's coming up. And if there's anything you can give me advice or help or support or insight on any of it. And, and I would have never, I was too proud to do that before. And I think that's a way there's ways like, I I believe your question was more like what I do in, in my own, you know, private home or whatever to manifest. But this is one of those things where I said, look, buddy, you have to do everything you can to get what you want. In this context, when Josh and I talk about manifestation, we're talking about it less in the woo-woo sense of the word. Manifesting is all about putting in the work to achieve your dreams. You can glue as many things as you want to that manifestation board, but at the end of the day, the universe has too much going on to deliver your destiny to your doorstep. So you start building your dream business by building solid relationships relationships with your peers, relationships with leaders in your arena, and relationships with your clients. Now, that last one can be kind of rocky based on your industry. Pick a a profession where people inherently don't trust you before they meet you. There's, you know... (laughs) Car salesman. Car salesman or or car mechanic, (laughs) Uh lawyer, contractor. So what do you think, if you were to give a little nugget of advice to our listeners who are in the trades. What do you think they should know about client relationships? Because I'm sure they're like nodding their head to this. They've had those difficult clients. They've had those moments where they're like, oh, they're wrong about this or, oh, that's going to put us over budget. And I know all the HGTV DIY tropes. Yes. (laughs) Like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) we're not going to make our budget. You're going to have to choose. But a little of that is dramatized, but there is truth and there's inherent conflict 
in that relationship? How do people handle it best based on your experience? Right. And you also see like where Chip Gaines has to call the homeowner because they found rot or they found asbestos or the property brothers, you know, every week, every week. Yeah. Love it or list it. Yeah. So I think (laughs) one of the, one of the things that I try and convey to both sides is that this is an, an inherently unbalanced relationship because if you think about it, you might have one chance in 20 years to remodel your kitchen. And you're talking to a man or a woman that remodels them daily. So there is a business versus a lifestyle separation. There is that distrust. I mean, there are, there are literally TV shows about bad contractors. And what I like to always tell people is that those guys aren't contractors. They're scam artists. And they just happen to use building. They're scam artists in the building. There's also scam artists in sales. There's scam artists in car mechanic. There's scam artists in every, there could be scam artists, waiters that upsell you. It doesn't matter. Those guys are just scam artists that just happen to pick building as one of them. But the problem is the scars that come from those scams are run really deep. It's your house and you live there every day. And then you could look at the, the problems that have happened or that you have to move or that you have to spend more money. And when you spend more money in construction, it's a lot more money than just a bad meal or that you were upsold different headphones, right? You might have blown, mm-hmm. you might have blown a hundred bucks there. Whereas if you get a scam on a construction, I mean, that it could be $30,000. I literally was thinking about a situation, a $30,000 situation that I've been through and crying inside about it. Yeah. And, and, and yes. you, you shouldn't cry inside, right? You should cry outside. I mean, no one would blame you. Oh, I've cried outside too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's been seven years. I should let it go. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, tomorrow, that's the perfect example. It's seven years ago. It still think it makes you still think of it. So that's what all the tradespeople need to know this stuff, right? We have problems sometimes when people don't trust us or when they second guess us or when they're skeptical, but we have to look at the other side. And that is, this is these people's houses, their lives, their families are there. This is their security. This is this home is the safest place in the world. So it's almost like if there was room in the budget for a therapist or a consultant to start that. Now, I actually do know people that do that with celebrities. I have people that that are licensed contractors, but don't do any of the contracting. They're just the liaison between the celebrity and the contractor because these things can be so tenuous, right? So that's another living. So that's add to the budget. And, you know, if you have a, a celebrity with millions and millions of dollars, sure, that makes sense because their peace of mind is worth that. But there's something there that, or maybe some, I don't know if it's training or whatever, but The fact that you walk into someone's house and if you know the wife, the husband just stares and and listens to your every word for mistakes. And if you know the husband, the wife does. And they've had and you know they've had the conversation before you come over. Okay, Josh is coming over. I know, I know he's been referred to us, but look, does he know about my allergies? Does he know about my allergies? Does he or the kids? can't have too much direct sun, you know, like it's so many things. And I, and again, you don't blame them. It's almost like if you rest too easy and and be too calm about it, they're like, he's not listening or, or he's not serious enough. And if you're too serious, it's like, oh, he's, he's casing our joint. He's going to steal our house. It's hard to walk into a situation that's already so emotionally charged. As a relationship coach, I like to say, don't get too attached to the outcome. 
to stay in the conversation and look for common ground rather than trying to solve all of the issues yourself. Josh and I both developed our conflict resolution strategies as we grew as entrepreneurs. As your business grows, you'll develop your way of managing the tough stuff too. What about when you get to the part as a tradesperson where you're like moving up the chain and managing the project yourself? How do you build those skills when you've really, the one you've been trained for, you've kind of grown past? It's a really good question. And it's a complicated answer because I think it also relies on what kind of a person you are. And I know a couple of guys that have been in the trades for 40 years and never worked for themselves because they never wanted to. And they'll, they'll say it. I don't want to worry about an estimate. I want to go to work and I want to do, I love what I do and that's it. And I probably lose money by doing that, but that's all I'm comfortable with doing. There are really good businessmen that are contractors. There are really good builders that are contractors. And some of those are, you live and die by them. You live and die by those personalities. Now, can you learn? Yes, you can. You inherently learn what materials cost and what tools cost and what your time costs. You can learn those things. So you can kind of get a value of that. And with time, you know, you experience if you're going to be a framer and you have framed a hundred houses, you have a pretty good idea of how to do it, how long it's going to take, and then find the lumber. The relationship or leadership is a personality thing. I mean, being a leader is, I believe you're born with it or not. And I think desire about being a leader is that. Well, also, I've seen really, really good contractors that are really bad with people. And I've actually said, listen, this guy is going to rub you the wrong way. But for your specific purposes, he is the best contractor. And so there's no real answer for that. And I also always like to tell people, you know, if you find something you love, why would you ruin it to theoretically get higher up unless it's just to make more money? And you can find a way to make more money if you're that good by just charging more. That's a challenging decision for a lot of our listeners when they get to that point, like charging more, it's important to get paid what your time is worth. And there's always this, this moment where you're like, I want to bid for the job and I want to get the job. Like you said earlier, you were like, I was cheap. So, you know, it's like an easy decision if you're cheap and good, but at a certain point, you have to increase your rates or you should increase your rates to reflect the quality and your experience level. How do you wrap your head around those moments, either in your career or how you would advise someone at that decision point? I go through it actually myself now as well, because you forget how much you do know. And you kind of, all you think about is the things you don't know, right? So you, you've got someone at your house building a fence right now. Well, I, I, I know how much that's worth. I know I'm not going to charge my full rate because it's not that hard. And I know what to do. And I know, and I can order the materials uh, over the phone in 10 minutes, you know, but the, the idea of, oh, this custom home that they want all of these things, I go, okay, well, I really do love, I want this job and I got to keep my bid low enough, but I got to make money. And then you start you start making money and you're like, but I kind of really killed it on this and I didn't get paid what I'm worth. I don't know. I think that also that maybe comes from within. I think the certainty or the, or the, the person has to talk themselves up to themselves. Maybe I struggle with it too. I, so right now temple homes is on hold. My company was building and I've paused it 
because I'm in sort of a transition, I'm now currently working for another GC as like an independent contractor. And he was like, well, why don't you just come work for me? And I was like, great. He goes, how much you rate you cost? And I, and I was like, well, look, you're really helping me out. I don't have to worry about clients. I don't have to worry about insurance. I don't have to worry about comp. How about this? And he laughed and he was like, he upped my rate because he knew me. He's worked with me for years. He knew what I could do. And he was like, yeah, no, we're going to pay you more than that. Wait, how did that feel though? How did that feel, Josh, to hear that? Hear that someone else telling you that your time was worth more than you were pricing yourself at. I think my lip quivered. I was like, you know, I was, like I said, I was in transition. Things weren't going great. And then you got this guy that's saying, oh, no, no, no. Not only will I help you out of this spot, uh, you you underestimated yourself already. And I'm sure you've delivered. (laughs) I'm sure you've more than delivered, even at that rate. Oh, 100%. And I mean, like, that's the thing that he's going to get from me is not only all my best work, but also I got him an electrician uh, that he needed. I I helped him with a customer because he couldn't get there. Like I I can do all the things. I can do those general contractor guy things. And so I could help fill in. And I was happy to, because I was really just grateful. Yeah. And you said a moment ago, you were in transition and I appreciate you sharing all this with me, like authentically as well. Cause I think sometimes also we're always trying to be like, everything's fine. It's great. I'm doing great. We're building, we're building. (laughs) Like, you know, we're both in LA. Like it's all, it's all BS anyway. It's all smoke and mirrors, but you know, that's why I like you. You really like speak the truth. And you know, I'm sure there are some people listening who have built their business to the level that you were at and then may have had to like take a little bit of a step away focus on some other things. Is there a plan in your mind? Like, do you want to Temple Homes to come back? Are you reevaluating that, hoping to go in a different direction? How have you approached that decision and that transition in your career? I'm actually doing that right now. I have made no decision. I have not killed it. Temple Homes is still there. Anyone that's calling me for work, I either bring in my buddy who's, who's helping me out or I, I can do it on the side. He's totally fine with that. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I, I just turned 50. I'm going through so much right now. And that pandemic, man, talk about truth. That pandemic has shown you, it shows a lot of truth. I know that people blame a lot of things on the pandemic, but I also know, wow, it's opened my eyes to some things that are the truth. And that I had, uh, you know, in the reevaluations and those, like I said, those transitions and you know, I've got kids. I've got a 16-year-old that's going to go to college soon. That will break my heart. And I will be so happy for her, but I will break my heart. And I got an eight-year-old that needs me. So I got to reevaluate everything. And so I think there's sort of a, well, if I can say so, a shitstorm of things that came and smacked me right in the face in 2020. And I've mm-hmm. still not resolved all of them. And so what I've done is just one foot forward keep doing things, keep doing things to, and then things will come to you. Okay. Do I want to be responsible for an eight guy crew, even a four guy crew right now? I still say, no, can I do it myself? Well, the pandemic showed me that that was brutal. So I was finishing a house that it was a temple home house that I was going to sell and the pandemic hit. And I took it very seriously. And I, I didn't want to mess around with it. So I, there were no workers and I did a lot of work by myself and it was gnarly. It was a lot of lifting. It was a lot of, you can do so much more with four hands than two. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's not twice as much. It's like five times as much. And, yeah. and you just realize how many times you could just use. And I, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't bring anyone into that, into that situation. I don't know them. Or even if I did, it's, it's like, I, then I'd have to trust them and all of their people. And I just played by the rules, you know, the CDC rules. I know that I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to just be hmm. my, my own builder. I don't know if I want to hire a crew. So where does that leave me? Well, it left me, the greatest thing was working with another guy that probably was facing the same things. And you were the solution to his big question. Maybe. Lending a helping hand has always been a part of Josh's philosophy. In his spare time, he's also involved in Boys Town, a charity that provides a pathway to a career in the trades for underprivileged youth. Talk to me about how you became involved with Boys Town and some of the inspiring stories that you've encountered along the way there. Okay. Well, thank you for bringing that up because it is like my, it's where my heart is in all of this. So it's in an actual town and it's a hundred years old last year. It was established a hundred years ago. It was established by a Catholic priest and was financed by a rabbi and they worked together. The boys would get kicked out of their homes first, right? When there was problems, when there was, you know, especially during the depression, all of these things. So it started as a boys town. It is now boys and girls. They have incredible uh, people working for them. And they're disadvantaged kids. They could be orphans. They could have had some problems with the law. And instead of going to juvie, they, got, they went to Boys Town instead. They're, maybe their parents are addicts. You can't just categorize them in any way, shape, or form. But they're all, they've all had it a little rougher than the rest of us. And they have a little less support and they have a l- not so many, I mean, don't have places to go. I mean, these, you know, they won't go into a gang. They, they ship them to Boys Town because that's the, maybe the only way to save them. So they're just kids with a rough life. And I was so blown away by it. And I was blown away by the, the houses they live in, you know, and they live in eight kids to a house and the family teachers are there and the, the school is there and it's kindergarten through high school. And um, they have full sports programs and all of this stuff. And it's a town. And I was walking around it and I was, and I was saying, well, what do these kids do after high school? Because it's actually not even high school. They rush these kids to get through high school because at, at 18, they're no longer wards of the state and Boys Town has to let them go. They can't stay there. And so they were like, well, that's the problem. That's the thing is this, this idea. We do all this work and then they got to go. And, but the statistics for a at-risk kids from 18 to 22, if they keep clean from 18 to 22, their chance of overall success in life is skyrockets. So this one was a real easy one for me because of my specialties. And because they actually, since it's a town, they have electricians and they have plumbers and they have carpenters there that work on all the buildings and stuff. I said, well, let's set up a construction. We have welding, which has taken off immensely welding one and two we have car mechanic one and two now they've they've branched out they have now culinary it's all of these things where you don't need a college education to jump right into the workforce but you watch these kids and and some of these kids know angles and measurements before they even know they know them they're smart kids they're just kids so some of them are great at these guys can weld better than i ever could and we're getting them jobs at what so they're getting out of high school and they're getting cars from the car mechanic shop 
and they're fixing them and they're giving them to the graduates. And then, mm-hmm. and then we're raising money. And the program that we started is called Trade Life. And so I, my, my main thing was getting all the tools, giving them all the distributors to keep them in tools and stuff, and then raising money and, and awareness. Now I'm just trying to give money and money and money because now they've got the instructors. Now they've got the tools. Now they've got the programs. So the money goes to these kids after 18. Now they've learned. And now, now there's, there's like five different welding outfits in Omaha that, that want Boys Town kids because they know they've been trained by a great teacher on great equipment. And now these guys are jumping into these boys and these girls are jumping into trades. And not only that, it's best is that now they think, oh, maybe I want to be an architect. Maybe I don't want to just stop at building a house. Maybe I want to be an architect or an engineer. And they're, they're finding that, that, that those muscles that they didn't even know they had. So it's just, it's like all you're doing is you're giving at-risk kids hope. And that's all they needed. And now they're thriving. And the, and the programs are growing and the classes are getting bigger. And the opportunities are getting better. And then we're all learning, too, that, okay, car mechanic, not your thing. Welding, not your thing. But this culinary thing, you know. Maybe they got a flair for that. And we're setting them up with, we have a department. And then they can go straight into a junior college or a straight a cooking school. They're getting all this experience and this, they're opening their eyes to things that, given their home environment, they never had a chance to think of. Yeah. You're giving them the confidence that they know something and that they can do something. And I'm sure that has a huge impact on the rest of their lives. Before we go, Josh... Tell me about this overarching philosophy you have in your work as a contractor. Good question. I would say that my, one of my mottos, most important for both homeowner and for anyone in the trades, and it's sort of an old cliche, but it's good, fast, cheap. You can have two, but you can't have three. Um, and what that means is like if a homeowner wants something done really well, detail-oriented, and quick in a timeline before Thanksgiving or whatever, they're going to pay more. But if they don't, if they have time, then they, they don't have to pay as much, but they'll have to wait longer. And, or if you need it, if you need it now and you need it cheap, it's not going to be the best job you've ever seen. <laughs> and I think that those, what that is, is that manages expectations. And especially in that skeptical relationship between homeowner and contractor, inherently unbalanced, inherently skeptical. That's one way to manage your expectations. And, and it's also a, a way for a contractor to say, ooh, look, these guys are really neat and clean. And I'm, I, my guys are not. My guys just haul butt. That's how we make our money. We don't make our money on quality. We make our money on, on volume. You know, I think it's just a real good way to understand how a contractor and a homeowner can fit. And don't, don't ever be worried about saying no to a contractor and not picking that person if it's not the right fit. It's the best thing for both of you. And on the flip side, as a business owner, don't be afraid to say no to a job that gives you bad vibes. Sometimes the money isn't worth the heartache or the headache. Here's what we learned from Josh today. Every experience in your life is a building block to your next step on your entrepreneurial journey. Trust is everything in your client relationships. Walk in with the mindset that everyone is doing the best they can with the information they have. Even if charity isn't your focus right now, 
helping others makes a difference in your life and in your business. Look for opportunities to work together with people who share your worldview. If you're as moved by the work that Boys Town is doing as I am, then join me and Josh in sending them some support. They do really great and impactful work there, and your donations go to great use for the young men and women there. The I Make a Living podcast is brought to you by FreshBooks. Balancing your books, client relationships, and business isn't easy. FreshBooks gives you the info and time you need to focus on your big picture, your business, team, and clients. Right now, you can go to freshbooks.com slash podcast and take advantage of an exclusive offer for our listeners. And while you're at it, check out all of the resources made available to you through our show notes. Our executive producer is Francisco Erzmendi. Editorial and content producer is Leo Shell Villanueva. Our audio engineer and composer is James Morris. And I am Damona Hoffman, your producer and host. Follow me at Damona Hoffman and FreshBooks at FreshBooks on all of the social platforms for more tips, tools, and resources because it's your business. We'll be back with a full episode on Monday. <laughs>